Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. Today, we're joined by Paul Pizarus. Paul is a mindset and performance coach, keynote speaker, and managing director of the Open Mind Institute. Here, he helps people and organizations enhance their performance and achieve their goals via his evidence-based tools and specialized programs. As a coach, Paul draws on his background in behavioral science and professional experience as a litigation lawyer to provide mentorship, support, and insight into roadblocks using CBT and mindfulness-based techniques to help recalibrate conditioning and empower his clients towards achieving their higher and authentic self. So with all of that, Paul, uh, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Alexa, and for that delightful and elaborate introduction. Greatly appreciated. Awesome. So um, Paul, for everybody who's listening, um, can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Uh, what led you to where you are today? Uh, what was your journey like? In terms of myself, where I am today, I'm a 45-year-old father and founder of the Open Mind Institute. Um, so I've got some skin in the game and some you know, solid life experience under my belt now. But ultimately, what led me, Alexa, to founding the Open Mind Institute was that I was in a profession, being the legal industry, um, for about 10 years or so, whereby I was experiencing adverse mental health myself. So I specialize in the criminal jurisdiction, and um, that, that's pretty hard to deal with, uh, similar to family law. And uh, long story short, yeah, I mean, insomnia, uh, mild depression, anxiety, uh, these were things I was dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. However, I was really fortunate for two things. I had a, a brief background in behavioral science and I always upkept that curiosity into human behavior and, um, you know, well-being processes and tools. And the other thing was I had a mentor who was a practicing barrister in Melbourne at the time. And um, my life really changed on this one evening when my mentor took me to this uh, mindfulness meditation class run by the Buddhist Society in Melbourne. I was uh, going through some difficult periods at work in that period in my life. And I tell you what, Alex, I remember coming out of this class almost as if this massive weight had been lifted. And I thought to myself, wow, if I can feel this way after an hour, what's my life gonna look like if I make it a non-negotiable morning routine? You know, but prior to going down that rabbit hole, I think it may have been the lawyer in me in that I was really uh, curious, but I needed some sort of evidence that this was going to work. So that's that's been my life journey since then. And that was about 17 years ago now, um, just researching and practicing what I preach on a daily basis. And ultimately, it was that experience that led me to pull myself out of a very, I guess, dark headspace. Then it, it was an organic growth. I started helping other friends, colleagues, loved ones to do the same. I got a great kick and reward out of that. And I thought to myself, um, this is my calling. This is my purpose. So I founded the Open Mind Institute uh, in 2016. And uh, I believe your, your introduction did a great job about, uh, you know, what we do and the services we offer. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And so um, 
You mentioned that uh, your um, background and knowledge in behavioral science and cognitive behavioral therapy. How do you um, find that that helps people in um, dealing with whatever they're going through? Yeah, great question, Alexa. Well, first of all, I mean, I think that the technical words can put a lot of people off. But uh, if I was to just summarize it in a, in a very simple way, you know, when we have awareness around how we process information, how we process, you know, events that make us feel uncertain or how we process change, when we have clarity around what our conditioning looks like in that regard, we can go about identifying or distinguishing between a couple of important things, such as, you know, the difference between what we're assuming, assumption-based things, and, and what is more truthful or, or factual, right? We, we can recognize when our condition responses are being unhelpful, whether they're contributing to our um, stress or, or mental health or adversity. And it's really from that platform, you know, I would really submit self-awareness is the first step which overlaps with, with CBT, right? In that, in your, in your, when you're cultivated the ability to be self-aware, whether that comes through mindfulness or meditation practice, you can actually spot how you are processing a situation, what your condition response is. And that's ultimately what CBT is all about. It's about recognizing how you have processed a situation, recognizing um, your current state of narratives, and then being able to positively disrupt that. And that's largely what, what we do in our coaching. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. So um, to summarize, you have awareness to your situation um, and then shifting your actions through awareness. Correct, yes. But what precedes the actions is the thoughts that we keep. So we have this inner narrative that really does a great job of summarizing how we process the situation. But where awareness comes in, it allows you to elucidate what that summary looks like and challenge it. So, for example, if, if you're going through a tough time and the narrative you're running is, I can't do this. I just, I physically cannot do this, right? And if that's compounded with previous beliefs, then that dictates your reality. But if we bring awareness to that and we positively challenge that, so maybe telling ourselves instead of, I can't do this, right? Let's change that word can't to how. How can I do this? And you can see instantaneously how that becomes a lot more solution driven. Mm, mm, that's actually, that's yeah, very, so, very powerful. Yeah. So on your point, um, you know, yes, behavior is, is a big part of it, but there's that intangible um, metaphysical component, which is our thoughts. And that's ultimately what's running the program. That's what's running your behavior. So if you get clear on what that is and start controlling your thoughts, as opposed to your thoughts controlling you, then the behavior is a natural positive um, flow on effect from that. Mm, mm, that is, that's very, very powerful. Um, and so for yourself coming from this uh, lawyer background where um, you were saying, you know, you were very stressed, um, had anxiety, depression, all of these things surrounding that, um, you've gotten into this shift where you've acknowledged and realized how you can change your behavioral patterns, how you can shift your um, thoughts in order to alter your actions. Um, how can you see that then coming back into the workplace to want to help and make a change uh, within the um, corporate world? Now, more than, more than ever, 
um, you know, I don't think it's ever been so important to get a to get a grasp on the importance of mental well-being in the workplace. Like, you know, we're still largely in this crazy pandemic. Um, you know, we, we might be coming out of it, but I think the way we work, the way we relate to each other has changed irrevocably, right? So um, that's the first point I want to make. It, it's It's been, it's so important, uh, particularly because I think, you know, your listeners and yourself would have heard of the great resignation. All these businesses have um, our own dying need of staff. Is it that they're growing or all these staff? So coming back to this is what the great um, resignation is. All these staff are moving around to different companies or are all these staff quitting and starting their own business doing something that has, is not pro or for the large corporations? It really is a mixed bag. It's both right? Staff um, aren't really sticking around for too long if they're not happy. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people are leaving to start their own businesses. Um, I've, I've got a, a coaching client. I coach a few CEOs and one of them was telling me he was on a camping trip with some other executives, right? Very, very high paid CEOs. And he said out of those five people, three had just left their jobs um, to, to just have a, a complete life change, right? One of them got a job at, at Bunnings just so he can upkeep that human interaction, but it's made people really reflect on what's important. I think people are changing, um, you know, what, what their values are. For a lot of people, it's no longer about uh, money or prestige or status, right? It's about being happy. It's about being able to connect and be present with your loved ones. And if your workplace isn't conducive to that, people are leaving and they're leaving in droves. Wow. So I think, uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a real shift. There's a paradigm shift that is unfolding. I mean, here in Australia, we're always behind the UK and the US, but I, I believe it's, you know, it's going to occur here and it already is. Wow, wow. So, so fascinating. And then obviously all of this external... Um... Uh, I wouldn't say noise, but uh, uh, conflict or uncertainty has only exacerbated this issue of people reflecting and being like, wow, okay, huh? is this what I really want for my life? Because everything's going on, I better take this seriously. Exactly, right? Because we, we've reflected over the last two years that um, the way we identify with work is changing, right? Our, our purpose in our role, we started to question. Um, and that all breeds uncertainty it breeds change and and people struggle with that because we're all creatures of familiarity right so first and foremost yes it's important um there's something that that does feel a little bit um familiar when i go into workplaces and i'm working with people who you know they're, they're going through the same roadblocks that i endured as as a lawyer but i think with that familiarity um comes a great sense of um empowerment that I can offer these people. So there's a great sense of, of gratitude because I know what I teach and the training I offer, I know it works to really transform lives, you know, and um, and the processes that we use are, are some of the ones we've, we've spoken about, um, such as your cognitive behavioral therapy, such as uh, mindfulness-based practices, such as educating people on um, emotional and social intelligence. I think that's really important. Um, as is something called authentic relating, 
which I'm not sure if yourself or your listeners have heard much about, but it's ultimately about being able to authentically communicate and articulate what you're feeling in any given moment, right? Because I think we all have barriers to that. We all have barriers to effective communication. And if you peel back all those barriers, Alexa, you'll find that that primal emotion of fear, right? We fear uncertainty. We fear failure. We fear judgment. And so we develop all these self-sabotaging behaviors. We develop these processes that are ultimately defense mechanisms, right? But and yes, they might protect us. Yes, they might keep us in the realm of familiarity. But you and I both know we don't grow there. So what I do is I go into workplaces and I, I challenge them on that. You know, I, I help them step into fear. Wow. And so how would you help facilitate that? How would you help people step into fear and, and step into the unknown? Yeah, good question again. First step is what we've already mentioned, and that is self-awareness. Right? You've you got to have awareness around what your roadblocks are, what your self-sabotaging behaviors are, um, what your fear situations might look like. And once you have that platform, then we go about unpacking them a little bit. You know, so what is it that you're that you're truly afraid of, right? Is it a bit of a self-protection mechanism? What does life look like if you step outside the parameters of your conditioning, right? And you, um, you know, you you implement a little bit of authentic relating. You, you be vulnerable, right? You you become a little bit more courageous and share what you're going through. And so we play that out. We we form um, behavior that becomes familiar and repetitious um, until the person gets to the point where they're actually secure that they can do it in real time. You know, they can do it with their human ecosystem. Um, when you are incorporating this um, within the workplace, would, in terms of the great resignation, would it really help feel people feel connected with their current role or would it allow them to see, okay, well, maybe this gives me a, a much clearer idea of where I should be going? Um, or, or how does that work? Yeah, it, look, it definitely does. And, you know, I'll be quite transparent with you. Sometimes that's the awkward thing that it, that occurs in that, you know, employers are ultimately paying for our services to help their staff with mental well-being and, and self-awareness and all these things we're speaking about. But sometimes in that journey, an employee might have the realization this role isn't for me you know and that's that's okay that's what i'm here to do as a coach um and if they find that their purpose and their values are not aligned with their current role and that they'd be happier moving on to another role then i'm here to facilitate that mm, mm. and and for people who um have utilized this um and then have managed to uh, form a much more cohesive workplace uh, what has been the outcome of that? Um, and maybe some examples that you've seen for yourself um, that has, has greatly improved the culture of the workplace um, and enhanced communication. Well, two examples are coming to mind. Um, both of these workplaces uh, within technology. So one is a multinational marketing firm that we're working with. The other is a software engineering firm. And 
despite being in slightly different industries, they were experiencing the same, I guess, barriers and roadblocks and, you know, people leaving the organization. And I think if, if we're to be honest and pan out a little bit more, I think irrespective of most industries, a lot of workplaces are feeling the, these effects, you know, the, these ramifications arriving from or deriving from the pandemic or even the war that we're seeing now in the Ukraine, right? There's a massive ripple effect. And yes, it's resulting in all these things. But to answer your question, I would say the greatest benefits we're seeing, Alexa, is people are communicating more authentically, right? And and once we educate people on, on this authentic relating set piece and how to do that, it's a massive ripple effect, right? Because the barriers to communication, they start to come down. And, you know, from, from the top right down to, I guess, you know, the workers on the front line, um, there is no there is no barrier there after a while of you know learning how to communicate more effectively and then the the, the flow on effect for that is you know people are, are happier in their roles um, they're happier when they go home after their roles they're more present with their loved ones so I would say you know it all it all reverts back to how we communicate with one another mm, mm. and uh, so talking about uh, what causes those um ripple on effect. So you're saying that the war has a huge impact um, and then COVID has a massive impact. Um, would that be, yeah. just so I can understand it quite clearly, are, are people kind of feeling um, because of all of this uh, hostility or uncertainty that they want to escape or run away or um, just to understand the real adverse effects that people are experiencing? Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm seeing in the field and I gotta say it's, it's subjective right? It, it's quite wide. Um, some, some people deal with uncertainty and change in a very unhealthy manner. And that is, they might isolate themselves, they might fall into self sabotaging behaviors like, um, you know, substance abuse, uh, you know, other impulsive behaviors that are more or less just sending them further down that that very dark hole. Other people have, have a healthier uh, response to change and uncertainty, you know, they're able to put their hands up for, for help and support, whether that's through services like Lifeline and Beyond Blue, or even within the workplace. So it's, it's, it's very subjective, um, Alexa, but I would say, on the most part, I'd say, you know, more than 50% of the population has struggled massively with with what has unfolded in the last two years. And that's largely because of what you've mentioned. That's that's the change and uncertainty that these events have, have caused around the world. Jeez. And what responsibility do you think that we have um, to help in this situation? I think we all have a responsibility to, to just be there for one another, you know, to, to practice uh, what we call social intelligence, which is, and I've got to say, it overlaps with, mindfulness and attention control because I would say our first and foremost responsibility Alexa is to ensure that our own mental well-being right is is looked after so because if you look after yourself you're then in a position to help people around you 
right? And that's where social intelligence fits in. So social intelligence is about being able to spot when other people might be struggling or whether they're dealing with adversity or whether, you know, they're having an adverse emotional response to something. And then you're able to mentor them through that process because you've got a solid understanding of your own emotional intelligence. You can regulate your own emotions. So I would say that's where the responsibility starts. It starts with you, starts with me and everyone listening, right? To get your own house in order. And then along with that process comes self-awareness. So you're aware, you're able to observe when people are struggling and you're able to say, you know what, I've perhaps been where you are. You know, you're able to extend that, that human hand and you, you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm here to help you. Let, let's see how we can work through this together. So that's where it starts at a grassroots level. And then beyond that, I would, I would go so far, I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I would go so far as saying that workplaces now have a duty of care, right? I mean, they always did, but it's never been so prevalent. They've got a duty of care to ensure that their workers, their employees have you know, a healthy mental well-being. A hundred percent. Because if your corporation, I think there's three levels to this really, is you have your individual level, which we've mentioned, you have your corporation or corporate level, and then you have your government level. And I think when all three of those levels are working cohesively um, to achieve a common goal of, let's say, um, increasing overall mental health and well-being, um, that could be a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, change. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely. And so on, on a, we've spoken about what people can do on an individual level. On a corporate level, uh, what would you say that um, they should be doing in order to help um, you know, really tackle these issues? I believe on a corporate level, there has to be a shift in mindset because the way we're working has changed. Um, employees are no longer standing for being driven or motivated by fear. Employees now have the luxury more so than ever to leave a working place if they're not happy, right? And there are staff shortages around the world. So it's never been, it makes sense from a corporate and financial perspective, Alexa, right? To look after your employees, to retain them, to properly train them. But more importantly, they need to practice something called unconditional positive regard. So it was largely popularized by uh, American psychologist, Carl Rogers. You, everyone would have heard of, you know, unconditional love that most of us get from our parents. So unconditional positive regard is having the support, having the respect, the acknowledgement, the love for your fellow human beings, right? Irrespective of whether they mess up, irrespective of whether they fail, irrespective of whether they're struggling. And when the other person knows that the, the employer has their back, has this unconditional positive regard, right, then they have psychological safety. So they're able to be a lot more vulnerable. They're allowed to be a lot more open. And it just, it leads to a very cohesive working, you know, working environment. So that's the first step, have unconditional positive regard and the way you practice that, Alexa, I, I'm an advocate. It's got to be from the top down, right? The, the people in power, the decision makers, they have to model it. They have to communicate it. And another way you can do it is, is have regular 
weekly meetings or forums where people can just come together and be human. You know, it doesn't always have to be about work. Provide a safe space for people to debrief. And then what you're also doing is you're enhancing this authentic connection between your people. Mm, mm, that's very beautiful. And, you know, um, I kind of see this whole situation as there's, there's always um, a positive and a negative. Um, and even though we are seeing so much um, uncertainty in the world, uh, never before have people now, like companies are becoming more uh, responsible or are taking on board a lot of the stuff than they never have before. You know, um, mental health hasn't just popped out of nowhere. It has always been lingering. Sure, it's been gradually increasing, but this is forcing companies, forcing individuals to step up and say, okay, we see that this is an issue. How can we help this? And if you look at it, maybe in 10, 20, 30 years, um, what is the outcome? We could all self-destruct or, you know, maybe all of these things that we're implementing, all these tools, um, all these ideas could create a workplace or a lifestyle that has never before uh, been seen in history. And I think that's kind of cool. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a tremendous opportunity. Yeah. How, how would you, um, if you could envision um, a future where, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom, if you could envision a future where all of the stuff that you're putting in, all this work that you're putting in, all those changes that you're facilitating these companies, what would be the end goal? What would be the, the total um, utopian outcome? You know, um... <laughs> Is, is it something we can achieve? I believe I'm, I'm an optimist, um, but I, I try and balance that with a bit of pragmatism. I think in this world, Alexa, unfortunately, there is an element of human behavior where you, you do have greedy people. You do have people who are susceptible to corruption, susceptible to amassing power. Um, but that's not to say that even those people can be re-educated, right? So um, the pragmatist in me says that there is no perfect utopia, but I do believe we can make some really solid inroads, you know, toward having a society, toward having workplaces where people are just authentically relating and communicating and minimizing conflict and really transcending the personal conditioning, but also the social conditioning that is no longer serving us. I really, I believe we can usher in a golden age of conscious human evolution, right? And all that necessitates is a tipping point where more people, where you have the masses transcending their own conditioning and then that will spill over to these people in power you know so again you know it's, it's a it's a conversation that I really um that I really love love having but um you know I think we it just all comes back down to us right getting our own house in order building mm -hmm. up our own human ecosystem our workplaces and then I'm hopeful that will cause a ripple effect Mm, mm. So to um, really uh, work on this then, uh, because I think, you know, it, it starts, as you said, it starts with change for yourself. So in order to facilitate that change from a base level, we are looking at becoming mindful and aware of our own behaviors and aware of how we're showing up in the world. I think you, you really have to get um, clear the areas in life that you traditionally struggle with, right? 
let let me let me impart your listeners with um, the simple tool that that I use. It's something I refer to as as the three golden questions, right? So you know we're we're talking about conditioning, we're talking about self awareness. So the next time you experience a situation where you're really stressed, you're feeling uncertain, maybe you've got some really negative inner narratives or the, the inner critic is coming out or you're overthinking for far too long, right? You can simply get a good assessment for the condition program by asking this, these three questions. And I'd advise to even journal on them. First question is where, where has this come from? Right. Where has this come from? Now, there's always a surface level answer to that, you know, like it might come from being triggered by a person or it might come from an email you receive. But you need to go deeper than that. You need to try and excavate the root cause. So where does it come from? It might be coming from my insecurity about how I'm being judged. Right. So get get real and raw on that first one. The second golden question, Alexa, is, is there any evidence to corroborate that? Right? There might not be, but if there is, how credible is it? Has it just come from a life experience? Because if that's the case, you know, like, yes, we are all conditioned creatures. We're products of our life experience, but we are processing each and every moment in accordance with our conditioning. And part of that processing leads us to assume a lot of things. So if your evidence is a life experience, right, differentiate between what perhaps you were assuming about it and what maybe a fact might look like, right? But for some people, there might not be in any, any evidence, and that's cool. Because the last question is this, and it's the most creative one uh, and the most powerful one, and that is ask yourself, what is a different way I can look at this situation, right? Beyond the parameters of my conditioning. So it's your opportunity to get super creative. What's a different way I can look at it and you might have to go to your loved ones or to your partner or to your best friend to get some different perspectives. But the point is, if you can step out of your conditioned program, look at your life from a bird's eye position, then you've got that platform to ask that question. And then you can create some new narratives and ultimately start creating new behaviors and a new reality starts to emerge. Mm, very, very, very powerful, very powerful steps. Um, so that's from an individual standpoint, which can completely shift the way that you show up in this world and the way that you live your life. From a corporate perspective, we're talking about um, in having a safe workplace where people can go in, feel comfortable, talk, maybe debrief, um, have an enhanced communication. Um, are there any other things as a business? Like if, if I was starting off and creating this new company um, and I would like to show up on the corporate space as um, somebody who is interested in uh, well-being for my staff, what does that look like? What what steps can a business take in order to facilitate that change? Invest in your staff. Mm. Invest in your staff, right? In terms of um, there's some awesome team building organisations, right? Um, there's what we do in mindset and performance workplace coaching. Right? But invest in your staff, give them the tools, give them the capabilities to be better versions of themselves and your company will experience that, that ripple effect. It's that mm. simple. Beautiful. And then if you had any insights into from a government perspective, if you had any policies, if you were in that position um, where you could help uh, bring about these policy changes, what would they be to infiltrate that from, from the top down approach? 
another, another really important question. Um, this is a difficult one for me to answer because, you know, as you might know, I live here in Australia. The, the government does invest heavily in things like um, mental health, right? I can't remember the, the, the exact amount, but they've invested millions that, uh, you know, community-based and non-for-profits can access, and that trickles down to the people that need it. But I don't know what they're doing in the workplace space, Alexa. I think I might be wrong, but I think it's largely up to the organizations to provide that. So I would like to see some policy on holding workplaces to account in really establishing this duty of care in regard to not only their mental health, but their mental well-being, right? To, to have a policy where staff can access a lot of these tools and processes um, within the workplace place because so much of our lives now is is wrapped in that workplace paradigm like you know I, I think that division has has been blurred between workplace and our personal life um so I think that's that's what I would do I hope that answers your question mm, no no that's, that's perfect and it is actually a very interesting point that you made uh because of COVID it has enhanced that um uh integration between or, or blurred the line between your personal life and your professional life where you know where does one start and where does the other end and the more you're working from home um you you obviously want to succeed and you obviously want to do really well in your um uh your corporate space but it can really pay a toll and one that i think very few people would even be aware of um the impact that that's having on the, their own mental health um, and then in the long term, I think that that actually causes a decrease in productivity um, and then obviously an increase in, in mental health issues. So it's even short term, people think, ah, oh, you know, if I, if I work every night, all night, this is going to be great. But from the long term, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be as efficient or effective um, as a, an avenue where people are more mindful. Um, they do take some time for themselves um, and they, they really I focus on that, that balance. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I think that's because it's up to the employee to, to have those boundaries in place. And some people struggle with that. So what we're seeing, particularly in you know, stressful and volatile positions, when people are working from home, you know, as you alluded to there, they never switch off, right? They might have the flexibility on one hand, being a plus, you know, I'm gonna go pick up my kids from school now, so I'll come back to this deadline later tonight. Right, but they're doing that up until the early hours. They're never switching off. It's affecting their sleep, and ultimately, what people are, are experiencing is this consistent um, secretion of cortisol, the stress hormone. Right, it's just it continues to just pump through our body, and and we, you know, it, it's just leading uh, to just more mental health, and ultimately leading to people leaving the organisations they're working for. Mm, mm. So for people who are working from home now, even though things have kind of gone back to normal, um, there's still a lot who have chosen or opted in for the working from home some days, working in the business some days. How would, what, what um, tools would you provide for those listening who are doing that at the moment, but they, they don't know where to draw the line? Yeah, great question. I, my first response would be set yourself up with a very healthy morning routine. Before you check your devices, before you check your email, 
right? You want to devote a minimum of 15, 20 minutes to yourself, right? And that can include a whole range of things from physical exercise, mental exercise, mindfulness or meditation practice, personal development, like like doing some reading or listening to a podcast. So set yourself up for the day. If you find that work demands are increasingly causing you stress or anxiety, set some clear boundaries, communicate those boundaries, right? So you might want to close off all devices, make it a non-negotiable if it's realistic for you to do so after 6 p.m., 5 p.m., you know, I'm just going to put the tools down. Um, so that would be the second thing, set some clear boundaries. And thirdly, I think um, bring it back to that communication set piece, right? So be vulnerable, communicate when you're struggling and exercise some of these forums that hopefully your workplace um, has introduced. And if not, right, be the change maker that you want to see in the workplace. Your programs, how long do they go for? If I was a business planning to bring you on board, um, how long would each of your sessions go for? What do they kind of incorporate? Yeah, so we're very much uh, bespoke. So we will sit down, we'll have a meeting with management. We'll, we'll really flesh out what their pain points are. And there's a few delivery modes that we offer, but the, on, on a very basic level, uh, on a very rudimentary foundational level, we have an eight week program and that sees the staff receive all the tools that we've mentioned here today and a lot more. And in terms of delivery modalities, we either deliver one-on-one -on -one coaching, so it's one hour per week, or um, what a lot of organizations are opting in for at the moment is coaching staff in smaller groups of three, right? So you're really enhancing that rapport, that trust, that communication and soft skill, uh, interpersonal skills between those three. And then in the week between those sessions, we're coming together in a larger group. So that might be 15 or 20 employers. So, you know, there's, there's a few delivery modalities, but ultimately uh, we're very bespoke, very agile, and we more or less, um, you know, work with companies to, to find out what the best delivery mode would be for them. Mm. And then your, your, um, optimum outcome through this process would be to enhance communication, um, enhance productivity, um, and uh, decrease or increase work retention. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> right. And are there any specific fields or industries that you find are in more need? I mean, I know uh, from a purely uh, statistical perspective, um, lawyers actually have the highest uh, suicide rates or one of the highest out of all of the professions. Um, are there any other professions that you think are, are really in need of, of these sort of services? Yeah, look, I, I would say it is so broad and so widespread. You know, as we know, I don't think there's many industries that have been immune from what's been happening globally over the last two years. Uh, the Open Mind Institute, we work primarily with professional services. But what I'm seeing a lot lately, Alexa, is more so in those... Um, those sales positions, so recruitment, for instance. Um, we also work with, with a few car dealerships um, and also in technology, we're seeing a lot of people struggling with mental well-being. Um, yeah. So it's quite, quite widespread, I would say. And why would you say with technology, um, why do you think that that's attracted um, 
or, or it, it has attracted people like yourself to come in and help? Well, there's a talent shortage at the moment, right? So on the plus, uh, people, let's say, you know, project managers or business analysts or scrum masters, they, they've got that, that flexibility to, you know, go online, um, get a job for some Silicon Valley startup or, you know, so there's, there's that flexibility. Technology staff working within organizations because of that staff shortage, it, it, they're sort of between a rock and a hard place because, you know, they have to take on more roles, right, than what their job description is. Um, and as a consequence, they're really feeling the pinch internally to overperform. Um, their employers are having really high expectations. And it's this is the, the rock and the hard place analogy in that they are then leaving, which is adding to, um, you know, that the pressure that these workplaces are experiencing. And it's just, it's a vicious cycle. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Um, no, well, uh, what I usually like to ask, anyway, I would not like to take up too much of your time because I know it's quite valuable, um, but what, um, if you could have one message to the world, uh, what would that be? Urge everyone listening to embark on the journey of finding a deeper connection because it exists. There's a deeper connection we can find with ourselves. There's a deeper connection out there that we can explore in relation to nature um, and ultimately with other human beings, right? There is so much more going on than what we call this so-called reality, right? We're, we're driven by fear, we're driven by conflict um, and the forces that be, they really drive this division, right? And, and we are like sheep falling into the void, right? So we all have the capacity to self-improve so that would be my one message it's get curious all right harness that childlike curiosity and do some soul searching about how you can strengthen the connection with self and with others and that can only lead to a beautiful place love it beautiful beautiful what an awesome way uh, to finish it off so thank you so much paul for joining us today and uh, talking about the great resignation um, and really highlighting uh, the importance of what you can do as an individual what corporations can start to incorporate, and maybe even what governments can start to implement. Uh, because on all three levels, I think we can see some pretty powerful change. Thank you so much, Paul. Exactly. Well said, Alexa. And thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.